Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK. The capital B, capital T, and a capital UK, or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk. Now, on with the show. This is the 16th episode of this podcast, and we're going to be having some letters that were written by real soldiers in the Boer War to their relatives back here in Bristol. It should give you a good insight into what life was like fighting in this particular war. And remember, these letters from people's husbands, brothers, sons. But let's first have a bit of background about the war. The South African War, sometimes called the Boer War or Anglo-Boer War, was the first major conflict of a century that was to be marked by wars on an international scale. It showed clearly the inadequacy of 19th century military methods and raised issues of whether conscription should be brought in and the use of concentration camps. The South African War was fought between Britain and the self-governing Africana, or Boer, colonies of the South African Republic, the Transvaal, and the Orange Free State. At the outbreak of war, Britain ruled the South African colonies of the Cape and Natal. The war began on October 11th, 1899, following a Boer ultimatum that the British should cease building up their forces in the region. The Boers had refused to grant political rights to non-Boer settlers, known as Utilanders, most of whom were British, or to grant civil rights to Africans. Perhaps more important was the underlying question of control over the gold mines of the Transvaal, at a time when the international financial system and the stability of the British pound was based on the gold standard. The war was also about Britain's control of South Africa and therefore its great power status. Although the war was fought between Britain and Boer, it was not simply a white man's war. Large numbers of Africans and other non-Europeans were involved, whether combatants or in support roles, including Mahatma Gandhi, who was then living in South Africa. He served as a volunteer stretcher-bearer in 1900. The lives of many more were affected by the conflict as well. On the British side, troops came not just from Britain, 
but also from other parts of the empire, especially Canada and Australia. Here's a letter from Private W. Britton, 2nd Company of the Gloucestershire Regiment, Indian Contingent, writing to his parents in St George, Bristol. On the night of the 29th of October, we were ordered to take position on Nicholson's Neck. Everything was going well, and we got through the bore lines unseen. But as our regiment was starting to climb the hill, all of the mules of the mountain battery with guns and ammunition ran back down the hill and made our mules stampede. It was worse than a bayonet charge. We all thought the boars were charging us. It was so dark, you couldn't see your hand in front of you. Our regiments reached the top of the hill after a good shaking up. But the boars were on the alert, having heard all the noise the mules were keeping up. Some of the mules ran back down to their camp, and that put them on our track. We fired away our ammunition, and then signalled for more, and Sir George White sent back that they could not spare either reinforcements or ammunition. So we were in a fix. Then we had orders to retire. We had been laying down, and I got up on my knee, and that was all. I got a bullet in the back of my neck. It pierced right through my face close by my eye. I began to bleed something awful from the mouth, nose and ears. Thought I should not last an hour. I got over my fainting a little, and got up and had a look around, but could not see any of our men. I walked about a hundred yards when the boars started banging at me again. I gave them a good chance, for I was so weak I could hardly walk, and I was almost praying I would get hit and be put out of my misery. I got behind a rock out of our own fire, and a boar came up to me and took away my rifle. I tried to stop him, but he said I will blow your brains out in a minute. I told him that's what they had done, killed our wounded. I had just enough strength to smash up my bayonet. I saw my regiment being marched away, and asked the doctor to let me go with them, and he had the cheek to tell me that I would not live another hour if I did. He gave me a lot of whiskey which put some life into me, and bandaged me. They kept us on that hill all day, and the groans were awful. I was shouting all night long for water, and the boars bought me five or six lots. I was taken to Ladysmith Hospital in the morning. The doctor thought I should never get my speech back again. The roof of my mouth was almost blown away. It has all grown together again now. I was in hospital about six weeks. I thought of you last Christmas, sat in the trench eating biscuits for my dinner. It's true that the mules carrying his guns and reserve ammunition had not properly been controlled by inexperienced drivers. The boars pressed forward along the summit, which was strewn with rocks, and gave individual boar riflemen ample cover. Getting the advantage, the British sangers were exposed and obvious targets to the boars and gave inadequate protection. Like the artillery, the British infantry lied on drill firing volleys on the command of an officer. By the time the order had been given, the intended target was safe behind cover, while the British soldiers were exposed to fire. The British infantry resisted for several hours, but the numbers of wounded and killed increased, and the ammunition ran out. Finally, as the main British force could be seen retreating into Ladysmith, Carlton gave the order to surrender. A British officer waved a white flag at the same time. Some of the British troops had seen no reason for the surrender and felt themselves humiliated by the order. 800 soldiers were taken prisoner.
You know me by now. I do like doing a bit of research. And for the word of the week, I found out a few things. Firstly, boar means farmer. Modder, which is in the story later on, means mud. But the word I'm going to go with is index, which is every soldier's favourite word, meaning the exercise event is over and they can have a shower for the first time in possibly weeks. And now we continue with letters from the battlefront of the Boer War. This next one is from a Private A. Wright of the Gloucestershire Regiment, writing to his wife at Angel Road in Totterdown. I can assure you I should be glad when I am home. We are having some hard times out here. The weather is sickening, raining and lightning all the time. We are out on the desert all night, and all we have to cover us is one blanket. The sky is our roof, and the desert our pillow. And we only have one half of our regular food. I've been in two battles, but I've got through all right. Our division have had great praise for marching and the hardships we've had to put up with. Our general, Kelly Kenny, surrounded about 5,000 boars for about four days. And last Monday we were out all night and lost. 150 killed and wounded. But I got through without being hurt. Next morning they gave up and we are having a few days rest. They say out here that Kruger wants to give in because he is getting the worst of it. I don't think it'll last much longer. I hope myself it won't. As you can hear, these letters give you a real insight into what life was like for these men. And this next letter is another prime example, written by Private C. Bryant of the 1st Gloucester Regiment, Indian contingent, writing to his mother, who lives in St Paul's. We have had a very hard time of it, I can assure you. Horse flesh and half-ration biscuits and sometimes mealies. We were besieged 113 days. The horse flesh was very nice when it was made into mincemeat and sausages, but otherwise it was not very good. We lost our colonel in the engagement in which I got wounded. He had seen 35 years of service and was, for the first time, in an engagement. We had a very unlucky shot fired from the Boers into our company during the siege. The shot killed six, four died of wounds afterwards, and seven were wounded. They had just come off outpost duty when this happened. It was the worst shot in the siege for a regiment. The Devons had one shell in the officer's mess, but that only killed an officer and wounded a few. The Boers used to fire into the town every day and during the siege, except Sunday. No one was aware it was so near and we heard many yarns about relief. We are going to recruit our health before going any further, and there has been some talk of our regiment coming home as soon as the war is over. Now those first few letters were read out in order by Adam Price, Henry Arnold and Finley Ratnett. And now we continue with letters from the battlefield of the Boer War. This next letter, read out by Steve Shepherd, gives us an insight into the camaraderie of the men that were there and how they celebrated and how hard they actually had to work. 
It's from a Sergeant Norman of the Array Service Corps to his father, E. Norman, of Ambrose Road in Clifton. I suppose there were joyous times at Bristol as the news of the relief of Ladysmith. I can assure you that at the Moon River we had great guns, firing salutes and shouting for hours. In fact, everyone was on good terms with himself. But you should have seen the sight that followed. Hundreds of poor fellows were brought down here, wounded. All serious cases are detained here, while the less serious cases are sent to Durban for shipment home. I should like to mention the way the medical men work here, really work, night and day. We have some very clever doctors here. In fact, the place reminds me of Netley. The Boers have destroyed the railway this side of Ladysmith. When this gets repaired, we shall get lots of wounded from Ladysmith. Good old General Buller. All the men here admire him, has stuck to the job like a leech. I can assure you that whilst I was with General French, I thought he was admired, but General Buller is just worshipped and is worthy of it, for he has had an uphill fight, and with the help of God, he has been successful. I have got several Bristol boys here with me, and they have to work, but have the satisfaction of getting praise for our work. At present, we are turning 6,500 loaves of bread a day, This will give you an idea what troops are here. For our book of the week, I've got one here for you that links in very nicely with our subject matter. It's called The Last Horseman by David Gilman, and it's set in South Africa in 1900. The plot will take you on a series of twists and turns across Ireland and onto the continent of Africa, into harsh realities of guerrilla warfare, how the Boer War affected the people of South Africa, and one man's determination to find his errant son. It's a very interesting book. The pace of the characters keeps the interest in what is going to happen next. The characters are believable, and the history of the war is a perfect example of how war changed. So if you do read this book, let me know what you think. In fact, if you've got anything you want to tell me, I'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show on Bradley Stoke Radio, either through Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk. This next letter is from Trooper T. Fawkes, writing to his parents in Cumberland Road, Bristol, from the Moot River March. It's read out by Sean Rickaby. He talks about being transferred to the medical department, and you get insight into what life was like there. The war seems to have stopped a bit since the relief of Lady Smith. I read in the paper about the London people parading the streets till early morning and singing the national anthem. Sir George White passed through here on his journey, and the train stopped for a few minutes. Sir George spoke a few words from the carriage, but he was so weak you could hardly hear what he said. But there was a lot of fellows down at the station, and we cheered him. Since writing the last letter, I've been shifted over to the hospital camp and doing orderly duty there in the enteric fever ward and have six patients to look after. I am on night duty this week. 
You go on at three in the afternoon and don't stop till six in the morning. The sisters also visit the ward several times during the night. They're a nice set of women to come out and attend the wants of poor Tommy. We all call them sisters. A scout came in from Ladysmith the other day and showed me boa cartridges with the bullets covered with poison fat that were in the boa trenches. That just shows how cowardly boas are. This next letter, written by Private A.J. Oliver, formerly a gas stoker in Bristol, is from Ladysmith, but it's not to family, it's to his foreman and shopmates where he used to work. And it's read out for you by Simon Green. On the morning, the 27th of February, we received a wire from Lord Bobs, saying he had captured Cronje and his followers, and the same day we were to make a final effort to relieve Ladysmith, which... After 11 hours hard fighting on three different positions by three different brigades, resulted in a victory for each, the remainder of my brigade suffering the heaviest. It was a glorious day, and it was the anniversary of Majuba. We had large numbers of Boer killed to bury and wounded to carry in, also 51 prisoners. I'm sorry to say that when we got to the Boer trenches we found 70 dead Boers in one, and 12 men and two women in another dead. We asked the prisoners why the women were there. They said the women were with their husbands and they would not go home, but rather die with them. It was a horrible sight. Well, mates, next morning we received a wire from General White that Umbalwana Hill was evacuated and, of course, cheers were then given, acknowledging the relief of Ladysmith. So next day, 1st of March, the Union Brigade marched through Ladysmith and ringing cheers from those who had been besieged. It will be memorable for my regiment, happened on Taffy's day, which we keep up well. I thank God that I was spared through all the 15 days fight unhurt, also my brother. He had a very narrow escape, a bullet going through his bolt hole, and just missed his head. In fact, everyone more or less had a narrow escape. Parsons' regiment did well during the advance, but I've not seen or heard anything of them since we left Cheveley, and now... They've gone from Natal to join Sir William Gattaca. I hope they're both safe. I see Gloucesters are in the Free State with General Broadwood. Bob is doing grand work in the Free State and we're at a standstill now until Gattaca gets up in line with us. Then hope to clear Natal of Boers. They're making great preparations in Dundee. But I think they'll be of no use to them with Gattaca behind them. Well, mates, I hear there have been great rejoicings in England over the relief and no doubt it will be a great event to remember. I shall never forget it. I'm sure this is not a very pleasant life, especially to watch your chums fall dead or wounded, but really think nothing while we're in it. Each man to reach the Boer Trench first with bayonet fixed. That is the time we see the Boer's backs. We came across about a hundred suddenly, and all but 39 prisoners were bayoneted. Yet, the Boer officials say one killed, two wounded. We've also captured their base hospital, which was underground, about seven miles from here, and hundreds of pounds worth of medical stores which were there, including nine boars, a hospital nurse from Holland, and two doctors. We sent the latter back the boar lines last night. There's a lot of sickness here among the besieged troops, but most of them are sent back to Mui River to recruit their health. All the Lancers' horses are eaten, and they do infantry work 
until they got their remounts. I'll be the first to admit, I didn't really know much about the Boer War before I started researching this episode. So, I thought, if you're like me, I'm going to give you some details on Ladysmith, which is mentioned quite a few times in these letters. Now, on 11th of October 1850, the name of this area was changed to Ladysmith, after Juana Maria de los Dolores de Leon Smith, also known as Lady Smith, the Spanish wife of Sir Henry Smith, the governor of the Cape Colony. Sir Harry Smith was the British general governor of Cape Colony and high commissioner in South Africa from 1847 to 1852. Now, the Battle of Ladysmith was one of the early engagements of the Second Boer War. A large British force which had concentrated at the garrison town of Ladysmith launched the sortie on the 30th of October, 1899, against Boer armies, which were slowly surrounding the town. The result was a disaster for the British. The main body was driven back into the town, and an isolated detachment of 800 men were forced to surrender to Commandant de Wet. The Boers did not follow up their advantage by proceeding towards a strategically important port of Durban, and instead began a siege of Ladysmith which was relieved after 118 days. Here are some back-in-the-day facts. July in 1968, Alec Rose, a British yachting greengrocer, landed at Portsmouth after sailing single-handed around the world in 354 days. On the 5th of July 1975, US tennis player Arthur Ashe defeated defending champion Jimmy Connors to become the first man of colour to win a Wimbledon singles men's champion. Also, on the 5th of July in 1996, the Scottish-born first cloned sheep, Dolly, was born. And finally, on the 7th of July in 1940, the English drummer with the Beatles, Ringo Starr, was born. And now, unfortunately, we have the last in today's series of letters the Boer War battlefront. This next one is from Corporal J.L. Bushnell of the 10th SARS, writing to his sister Adelaide in Ashleyvale, Bristol. And it's been read by Bradley Stoke Radio's very own Big KP. I have just received your letter dated the 2nd November 1899, you see, that I have not had much news from you lately, but I suppose it's not your fault. I dare say it is a great strain at the field post office and correspondence being kept with letters for the regiment. I'm pleased to say I'm going on all right and the best of health, thank God, but of course very rough, as you may all expect. General Buller's division have succeeded 
in relieving the long-besieged Ladysmith, which we managed to do on the anniversary day of Majuba Hill on February the 27th. I think it was a great surprise for Kruger and his German officers. Lord Roberts captured General Cronier and shot 4,000 Boers on the western border. And we struck the final blow for the relief of Ladysmith. And I can tell you, it was a hard fight for it too. It lasted for 16 days and nights. Continual firing of small arms, bombing and bursting of shell, lidite and shrapnel. It's fair sickening to hear it, but you take no notice after a little while. You can tell when a shell is coming near by the screaming noise and it makes you duck your head. The enemy have got a dangerous gun. Our chaps call it the pom-pom. It fires one-pound shells in rapid succession and it's very rare that we can find it out. We captured two and a long tom that was on Umbalwana mountain, but they have destroyed the mechanism and we cannot use it. We captured about 500 of the enemy and you should have seen them when they were brought through camp old men and youngsters of all nations. We treat their wounded with the greatest care, and they all say they are glad that they are captured, although, I think for myself, that if British troops were in their places, we would be able to defy the world. Their trenches looked impregnable right on the top of the hills, about seven feet deep and with a barricade of 12 foot of stonework in front, and then we get them out of it, and then they run before the infantry can get at them with the bayonet. I think that we just managed to get into Ladysmith in time, as the people looked like living skeletons. You should have seen how thankful the chaps in the regiment were. I took some things, tobacco, cigarettes and milk, and they fair cried with joy. I have just had a price list of things by auction during the siege. Dozen eggs, two pounds, eight, ten and six for a six ounce tin of milk, three pounds for a half pound tin of tobacco. So you can see it was rather rough. They've eaten most of the horses here, and have turned cavalry into infantry for the time till they can get some more horses. I think we are going to have a week's rest and then think we shall off to Newcastle or Dundee. I have sent you my Christmas gift from our gracious majesty Queen Victoria. I've had taste of it so you may divide the broken cake to see how you like it and want you to keep the other till I get back again, if ever I get the chance. And so, my friends, we come to the end of another show, which is a shame because I have so many more letters to share with you. In fact, I think there might even be another another show very similar to this one. I hope you agree with me that the ones we heard today were done superbly by not only presenters of other shows on Bradley Stoke Radio, but also by members of the St. Stephen's Drama Group in Sandwell, Bristol. I think we can all agree that they did a wonderful job of bringing these stories to life. Now here's something for you to ponder. Does anyone else think it's wrong that only one company makes the game Monopoly? Just before I go, I'd like to introduce you to a podcast that I've recently discovered. 
Hey everyone, I'm Kelly. And I'm Emily, and we're from Whining About History. Ever notice how women seem to be missed, forgotten, or maybe even purposely left out of history books? We did, so we decided to take the his out of history and make it herstory. Each episode, we discuss the lives and general awesomeness of these historical wonder women, all while having a glass of wine. Or maybe a bottle. Come join us on all of your favorite podcast platforms at WAHpod on Instagram, WAH underscore pod on Twitter, and at Whining About History. Remember, that's no H or E in whining. See you you soon. soon. Cheers! You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating. And maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by the model folk. You can find out more about them at themuddlefolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>